Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 207 for the love of the game on the Believe Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including latest player reports for this year's NBA playoffs. It's not just NBA playoffs, though. There's a lot else going on. We have MLB, we have NHL playoffs, UFC, boxing, all that. You can find all your sports wagering needs and info at Bet Online. Head to the website today or your mobile device and get in on the action. Be sure to use promo code BLEAV for 50% of your welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's again, promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get your 50% welcome bonus. Bet online where the game starts with that said. Episode 207 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. Episode 207 for the love of the game with yours truly. It's Aaron Tobin Hess, ATH, back in the saddle, back behind the mic. And it is Wednesday morning, May 3rd, and I'm exhausted. I am absolutely exhausted. Was up late last night on the East Coast. Was still in the 305. Was up late last night watching the NBA games. Obviously, Knicks Heat. Game two was super, super important. 111-105, the New York Knicks win. And then was up late watching the Warriors battle the Lakers. 117-112, Lakers stealing game one. We're going to get into all of that in just a second. But I just, you know, I can't do it as easily as I used to. Can't do it easily as I used to in terms of staying up late for the West Coast playoff games. But... It's the second round of the playoffs, and we battle. That's what we do here to produce some great content. Get a little extra espresso shot in your iced coffee, and you're good to go the next morning, at least somewhat. So, the headliner, the New York Knicks, 111-105 win against the Miami Heat. This was a game which Jimmy Butler didn't play after he severely sprained his ankle at the end of game one. I know... Reports are saying that he was pushing to play. If you saw the way he was walking, like there was no way he was going to play in game two. And if you're the Miami Heat, there's no way you can let him play game two, even if he pushes to play, because he couldn't walk. Straight up couldn't walk. And so you're thinking the Knicks, the line opens up at six and a half. They're favored. It goes all the way up to ten and a half. And immediately I'm just like, I don't know. That's not a great sign. Because as I said on Instagram after game one, this Miami Heat team is tough as nails. They are like cockroaches. You can't kill this team. Does it matter that Jimmy Butler is not playing? No. 
Does it matter that Tyler Hero's not playing? No. This team fights and claws and they execute and Eric Spolstra is an absolute wizard. He's the best coach in the league. He does more with less than any other coach in basketball. Right now, Gabe Vincent sometimes looks like Steph Curry light. Caleb Martin looks like Clay Thompson light circa 2017. Make that make sense. Make it make sense. There's no way if you looked at the rosters that this Miami Heat team should have even been in the game, let alone had a six-point lead with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. And again, the Knicks are in the second round of the playoffs for the first time in 10 years, and they won a game. We should be celebrating, but I can't help but think about how difficult this Miami Heat team is to play because of their coach. I said it going into the series. I would have rather played the Boston Celtics. I would have rather played the Philadelphia 76ers than this Miami Heat team. They're so incredibly well coached and they execute so well. And they're trying to win the math problem of threes and twos. And don't let last night's percentages fool you. Yeah, they only shot just under 35% from three last night. They took 49 threes. Sometimes that's what you have to do when you're undermanned, when you're missing your best player. You just have to make threes. And they shot 17 of 49, just under 35%. But they got good looks, really good looks from three. It's something the Knicks have to clean up. Because if Miami is going to get those looks, and a lot of them were wide, wide open, the Knicks are in trouble. Whether Jimmy plays or not, the Knicks are in trouble. I mean, last night was a street fight, a damn street fight. And the Knicks, to their credit, are a bunch of scrappers. They like to scrap. They like to brawl. They're looking to get in the mud, mix it up in the mud, pull guys into the mud with them. But they were lucky to come away with the win last night. And that was my first my first thought when thinking about the game was just how impressive the Miami Heat are. And I hate the Heat, all right? This series is bringing back my childhood hatred of the Miami Heat, the pure hatred that is them. From 97 to 2000, I didn't hate a basketball team more than I did the Miami Heat. Those were brawls. I mean, actual brawls too, but those were wars. And this second round series is just bringing back a lot of those feelings, but you can't help but respect the Heat and respect Eric Spolster for what they've done. I mean, no Jimmy Butler in game two and the Miami Heat with a lineup of Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Bam Adebayo, Caleb Martin, Kevin Love with Cody Zeller, 
Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson, who'd basically been a stiff all year. That team had a six-point lead on the road in New York City in the fourth quarter after already going up one game to zero. This Miami Heat thing, it's, it's so incredibly impressive. It's why I was a sucker for them before the playoffs started. It's why, even though all the signs pointed that they are average at best in the regular season, I didn't care. They just have this thing about them. You can't kill them. And in game one, Jimmy Butler made every big play before he got hurt. So did Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry, who's fat, out of shape, old, in the playoffs, somehow he finds the fountain of youth. But yeah, the Knicks took care of business in a game they absolutely needed to have or else the season is over and they found a way to win. And how did they do that? After an up and down, to be kind, first half, where Jalen Brunson did not play well in the first half. The Knicks got early offense from R.J. Barrett. He made five threes in the first half, but after the midway point of the second quarter was basically silent, tunnel vision, and, and played rather poorly to the point where Tibbs sat him in the fourth quarter for Grimes to have an extra ball mover. I mean, Julius Randle made a couple of off-the-dribble threes, pull-up threes that... Let's just say I don't love banking on those shots, but to Julius Randle's credit, he played well last night. 8 of 18, 25 points, 12 rebounds. I mean, he battled, played really well. I know I've had my my ups and downs with Julius Randle. I, I don't love the way he plays, but he played well last night, especially because Obi Toppin, when he came in, his first stint of the game had absolutely nothing. Looked like he was shell-shocked. Like, you couldn't even take Randall off the floor. But the vibe after the first half was like, the Knicks are lucky to be down by three. They're playing really poorly. And if it wasn't for R.J. Barrett's early offense, they would have gotten blown out of the building. But then they started to find something, and Jalen Brunson was excellent in the second half, specifically in the fourth quarter. Excellent. The Knicks found something with the zone and getting good looks. And, and the Knicks made shots after going 7 for 34 from 3 in the first game, in game 1. The Knicks shot 16 for 40 in game 2. 40%. It's a big difference. Now, is it a cause of concern that no Jimmy Butler and the Knicks shoot 40% from three and they only win by six? Yeah, it's a bit of a concern. Yes. But let's focus on the positives here. Brunson got back to his ways. 10 of 19 shooting. 6 of 10 from three. Made big threes in the fourth quarter. One of them, which led to a four-point play, Isaiah Hartenstein gets fouled. And by the way, let's just be honest. That was a Fugazi call at best. That should have been side out for the Knicks, but the referees gave them the continuation on a three, four-point play. We'll get to Hartenstein in a little bit because he was sensational. But Jalen Brunson took the Knicks home. And I guess that was one of the reasons why R.J. Barrett sat. 
in favor of Quentin Grimes, who hasn't done a whole heck of a lot in these playoffs. But he was a plus three last night, even though he shot one of three from the field and O of two of three. I guess they just needed a ball mover, and he wanted another floor spacer and for Jalen Brunson to have the ball in his hands. That's what happened, and he took us home. Josh Hart made monster plays down the stretch. Monster plays. He was only 4 of 11 shooting, but he was a plus 16. 14 points, 11 rebounds, monster offensive rebounds, as we've come to see from Josh Hart late in the game. Made the huge three to stretch the lead from one to four. And Isaiah Hartenstein, who may have been the player of the game. I know Brunson's going to get most of the headlines, but Hartenstein was ridiculous. In that fourth quarter, no player wanted the game more than Isaiah Hartenstein. Keeping possessions alive, offensive rebounds. Just an absolute dog to the point where when they took him out with about three and a half minutes left in favor of Mitchell Robinson, I was screaming. Like, why? Why take Hartenstein out there? Maybe it was the foul trouble. I know he had five fouls, but, like, just leave him in and let him foul out. I was going crazy. But, you know, Tibbs pushed the right buttons, and they got a win. And the Knicks have been really good on the road this year. They're a good road team. So you got to take at least one. But coming out of that game, like, again, I'm happy that the Knicks won. I I'm really happy that the Knicks won. But – I don't feel great about their chances in this series, especially if the Knicks bench is going to be this bad. Going into the series, you thought that the Knicks depth was going to be their strength, but Emmanuel quickly has been bad now for the entire playoffs. And he had a moment last night in the fourth where he got a runner, he got a mid-range jump shot, and maybe he was getting a little bit of a flow. Brunson came back in. But Emmanuel quickly needs to be better. I mean, he only played nine minutes last night. He needs to be better. They miss his offense. They're struggling right now without it. All right? Ovi Toppin, after playing really well in game one where he got the start, was an absolute no-show last night. Minus eight and ten minutes. Like, that's bad. Grimes, again, didn't do much, but I guess he played well on the defensive end and was a ball mover, but the Knicks are going to need more point production from their bench. And that starts with Quickly, who was the runner-up for sixth man of the year. We, he can't be a no-show. We'll see what happens in game three. You got to take one of these games and then just get it back to Madison Square Garden tied, tied at two and then take it from there. I never thought this series was going to be easy. These teams. It's a brawl. I mean, you look at this game versus the Lakers-Warriors last night, and it's two completely different styles. This was an absolute brawl. And to the Knicks' credit, they're ready for a fight. But so are the Heat. So are the Heat. So kudos to the New York Knicks in a time where it was looking really, really bleak for New York sports. I mean, the Yankees are 16-15. and 15. They're in last place. Aaron Judge is on the IL. Giancarlo Stanton's on the IL. Their lineup is terrible. 
They can't win games that Garrett Cole doesn't pitch. They're in last place. They stink. And the New York Rangers, after going up 2-0 in their series against the Devils, lose in seven games, blow a game in game three, lose in overtime, no show in games four and five, win game six, lose in game seven, in a series where Panarin was a no-show, Zabanajad was a no-show, Patrick Kane, no-show. The Rangers are in for a tough offseason because their cap situation doesn't look great. They went all in this year, bringing in Tarasenko and Kane, and now that they lost in the first round, there's going to be major changes in Rangerland. I mean, luckily, they still have arguably the best goalie in the league, He's 25 years old or something like that. But it's tough looking at the Rangers right now and knowing what they're going to have to do going forward and making some changes because this was the year. This was the year, their best chance, especially when the Boston Bruins, who set the record for most regular season wins, lost to the Florida Panthers, the Rangers had an opening, and they could not take advantage. And they got shellacked in Game 7. Embarrassing. So, yeah, New York sports were down bad right now. But the Knicks winning last night gave us a glimmer of hope. So, we're on to Game 3. 1-1. Had to have it. And let's see what happens from here. So, thank you to the New York Knicks for shining a little bit of light on a rough New York sports stretch. We're going to talk with a recurring guest about the NBA playoffs and what else is going on, but just a couple of things on the other series. Game one last night, Lakers-Warriors. Lakers steal game one on the road. Anthony Davis was sensational. 30-23. and 23. Tremendous defense. Probably his best playoff game of his career. Just absolutely incredible. Dominated on the inside. I, I don't understand why he drifts to the perimeter some plays. It, every time he shoots a turnaround fadeaway or a three, it's a win for the Golden State Warriors. But he was great, which was a little strange in a sense where they kind of went away from him at the end of the fourth quarter when they had a 10-point lead and the Warriors clawed it back from to about three with Steph Curry making crazy shots, Jordan Poole making a couple of crazy shots. And when they got that lead down to three, I thought Golden State was going to put it over the top. Jordan Poole took a 28-footer, which was ridiculous. I don't understand what the hell that was. But the Lakers come out with a 117-112 win. Really good win for the Lakers. LeBron didn't really have it offensively. Yeah, and, and do I expect Anthony Davis to have something like 14 points on like 5 of 16 shooting in Game 2? Yeah, because he's inconsistent. And I do think the Warriors are going to win this series. But he was sensational last night, so you got to give him his props. Boston Celtics, Philadelphia 76ers. Boston losing on their home court in Game 1 without Joel Embiid, the newly minted MVP Joel Embiid. Losing game one, 119-115 to the Philadelphia 76ers in game one. James Harden was absolutely sensational. 17 from 30, 45 points. By far, 
the best playoff game in his career, by far. I mean, if you're the Celtics, how can you lose this game? How can you lose this game? In a game where they shot over 58% from the field and 38% from three, how do you lose this game? I mean, Harden was sensational. And yeah, I don't expect that to happen again in this playoffs. Because you know what James Harden's playoff history is like. It's all going to be downhill from there. I just don't want to see Harden on games where he's a complete no-show. Because that's been his MO. But he torched the Celtics in game one. And, and kudos to him. That was his signature playoff moment so far. Just what a win for the Sixers. And the seas have parted for the Sixers. If they can get Joel Embiid back, and if he's healthy enough to play in game two, which I'm not sure he's going to be, and we'll see. By the time you hear this, you may know that result. But if he's healthy enough in game two to play, I would play him. Assuming, again, he feels comfortable. Because they have the opportunity to really go up to two games to zero going home. And there's something just off about the Celtics team. I said it going into the playoffs. I really felt this way, given the way they ended things with the Hawks. I'm just not a believer in this Celtics team. I don't know what it is. I'm just not a believer. So the Sixers have a path here. They really do. Big win for them earlier this week, uh, especially without Joel Embiid. And lastly, the Phoenix Suns are now down two games to zero against the Denver Nuggets. Game two, 97-87 Nuggets. Nikola Jokic, also 17 for 30, 39 points, 16 rebounds, just masterful. Dominated early in the post in game one where he didn't need to do that because Jamal Murray had it going. Jamal Murray was 3 of 15 in game two, and it didn't matter. I mean, Phoenix just doesn't have enough good players. Monty Williams trusts three and a half of his players, and right now one of those is Chris Paul, and he's not going to play probably the rest of the season because he hurt his groin in the third quarter of game two. This series is over. It's absolutely over. Kevin Durant was 10 of 27, 2 of 12 from three, 24 points. That's not good enough. I mean, Devin Booker was, was good, 14 of 29, 35 points. But unless those guys are going to go for 70 points and are stellar, the Suns have no chance. They have no chance. And quite honestly, this is good for basketball. This is good. Because age-old principles like continuity matters, playing more than eight games together in order to win a championship, that stuff matters. They should matter. You shouldn't be able to play eight games together after you make a trade and expect to win a title. Depth matters. Finding habits with your teammates matters. And so this is a win for the NBA and for basketball at large. And Chris Paul, yeah, hurt again. The guy's old. The guy's old. I never really bought Phoenix as a finals contender, and they're going to be out in the second round. And to trade all that stuff for Kevin Durant to lose in the second round of the playoffs when Chris Paul is old and clearly can't be counted on to make a long, 
postseason run, and I get it's Kevin Durant. You have to do it. And it's a little weird watching the way they're using him right now. Like, I think they're a little confused in terms of how to use him. I, I don't think Kevin Durant should necessarily just be like a spot-up three-point shooter. But to trade all that stuff only to lose in the second round, this is danger time for Phoenix. Danger time for Phoenix. And I love it. I love it because I believe in continuity. I believe in building a team and having a team infrastructure and going through things as a team in order to win games. But yeah, uh, this is this is good for the NBA that Denver is putting a hurt on the Phoenix Suns. This is good for the NBA. I truly believe that. With that said, we're going to bring on a recurring guest to talk all things NBA playoffs, and we're going to get to him in just a matter of moments. So I teased it in the monologue, recurring guest, he's doing big things in the media space, believe family member, Greg Silver is back, we're talking a little hoops. Greg, what's going on, brother? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me back. I'm always happy to talk hoops with you, and it's uh, both of our teams still alive in round two, so let's do it. Both of our teams are still alive. Um... I wanted to talk to you specifically because you're a North California guy, obviously uh, Warriors, but I, I did want to bring up the Sacramento Kings and the end to their season and put that season in perspective because, let's face it, once you break the longest drought in pro sports history in terms of making the playoffs, you do get a little pub. But before we get into all that, all right? Your biggest takeaway on these NBA playoffs so far, if you had to narrow it down to one or two things, big picture things, what would you say they are? Well, first of all, for anyone watching the video, uh, yeah, I did have to plug in my mic. That was a nice amateur move by me. But uh, but biggest takeaway on the playoffs, I mean, I would just say it really kind of puts a stamp on it, confirms the parody of the league that we're starting to see. Like really over the last decade and for a lot of my basketball watching lifetime you think there's probably anywhere from four to seven teams that have a realistic shot at a title. And for the first time ever, we have a one through eight seeds still alive in the second round. And so everybody knows playoff basketball is different, but yeah, my takeaway is just that the league has changed. Uh, there's a lot of great players out there. I don't know if there's going to end up being an expansion sometime soon, but you know, props to a lot of these guys, these are hard fought series and, I've never had so much enjoyment watching the first round. Usually I start getting into it right about now. Yeah, this this playoffs feels a lot more like the NCAA tournament than it does classic NBA. I mean, the NBA, historically, if you look at like 90% of the seasons, champions, you know, and finals teams basically come from top three seeds, all right? And there's generally... You know, one or two – actually, I shouldn't say that. There's generally about, like, three three or four, like, strong, strong contenders going into the season on average. And this season, I mean, Milwaukee was an overwhelming favorite by everybody going in, and they just lost to an eighth seed. And, and right now, with that, I mean, it kind of threw everything for a loop. Yeah, no, 100%. And I mean – Another takeaway I had coming into this playoffs too is I'm just going to stop disrespecting the heat because 
you know, it was obvious that this team was probably going to give somebody trouble. I expected them to beat the Hawks and play Boston instead of Milwaukee. And then when they played the Bucks, I'm thinking, okay, like they might win a game and make it fun, but this is just not feeling right for Miami this year. And every single time Jimmy Butler just cranks it up to another level, I am amazed by the inner workings of this cycle now. But, I mean, yeah, props to Miami, and I know they're playing your Knicks, and we're going to get to that later, but it's a team that you have to respect every time in April. I said it in the monologue. And again, the Knicks are in the second round of the playoffs for the first time in 10 years, and they won a game at home that they needed to win. You'd think it would just the immediate reaction would be adulation and excitement over the Knicks win. My first takeaway is that this Miami team, with Spolstra doing his thing and pulling strings, is so incredibly impressive. And it, it was like, it was hard to get excited about things. But we'll get to them in a second. My biggest takeaway is, you know, aside from just the parody, is, man, the injuries have really played a major factor. And they played a bigger factor than than I, I can ever remember. I mean, think about just the first round. Giannis misses two and a half games, right? Or basically like three full games. He, he's gone. That, that changes the trajectory of that series. I mean, Jimmy Butler turns his ankle against the Knicks. Um, Chris Paul goes out with an injury uh, to his groin in game two against Denver. I'm trying to think that it's just I mean, Joel Embiid. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox with his finger, Joel Embiid with his knee. Like, I just listed four guys who are going to make all NBA teams this year. One guy who just won the MVP, one guy who won the finals MVP two years ago, and Chris Paul is going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. Like, that's a lot of guys. Man, missing significant time and and putting a damper on things. And even still, it's been an exciting playoffs from just a – you don't know what's going to happen. Like, I have no feel for the Western Conference. I didn't have a feel going into the playoffs because Denver kind of pulled the rug on everybody. We'll get to them in a second. And the East right now is is wide open. So who the hell knows? But yeah, injuries, man, they, they, they've they really sucked the life at a little bit of the life out of this playoffs. Yeah, fortunately, Embiid is coming back tonight. Jimmy Butler should be able to make a return. And Fox was able to play through the finger, even though it did affect him. I'm not going to act like that wasn't a factor. Um, but yeah, and Giannis came back too. So it's nice to see that these are injuries that aren't going to impact players heading into next season necessarily. But uh, when it comes to April through June, players aren't thinking about the next season. They're thinking about one to two days in advance and everything counts. So I'm uh, hoping for the best for Chris Paul when he's getting reevaluated. And yeah, I'm just you know praying that it all stays healthy for the remainder of the playoffs. Well, this may be curtains for Chris Paul, but we're going to get to that series in a second. So that's a great transition because the Sacramento Kings lost to the Warriors in seven. The Warriors who have had incredible trouble on the road all year win game five and game seven in Sacto. the fact that the kings won game six in golden state i think was shocking to basically everybody De'Aaron fox hurt his finger on a fluke play that was even after the whistle just you know you're a north california guy put the uh the sacramento Kings season tie a bow on it for us 
Yeah, I mean, I've been sticking up for the Kings all season. And even when they started the year three and six, I could tell that there was something different about it just by the way that they were staying competitive in so many games. And I didn't expect them to win 48 games and get all the way to the three seed. I mean, that was just surpassing almost everybody's expectations. But uh, this team is young. They're fearless. And I know it didn't end the way they wanted it to when they had a game seven at home and Steph Curry kind of just sucked the life out of the building as the second half went on. But the overarching theme has got hold to on be... that. Hold on one second. That's an understatement because considering he set the record for most points scored in a game seven, uh, dropping a 50 piece. I mean, yeah, I would say he sucked the life out of the building. Go, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, that was, uh, it was putting it lightly for sure, but I think overall the Kings do have to feel happy. They do have to feel proud. They won two games to start off the series against the defending champs. Uh, they, you know, won game six, which maybe three people in the entire world would have picked them to win uh, going into that game and forced a game seven. And, uh, you know, they were never scared of the challenge. And I know that back when we first connected and talked hoops all the way in like November, we were talking about the playoff and the larger playoff picture. And we're talking about these big stars and we're like, yeah, I know the Warriors look so awful on the road and they're shaky, but you still have to beat Steph Curry four times. And they pushed the Warriors to the absolute brink. And were it not for a top three performance all time from a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, then we would probably be talking about Kings Lakers right now instead of Warriors Lakers. Yeah, and and the De'Aaron Fox thing, you know, it was unfortunate that he hurt his finger because it for sure affected him, his handle in game five, sort of the end of that game, even though he had a big game. Game six, he was awesome, but game seven, you could tell, you know, five for 17, just it, it wasn't the same. I mean, it was the middle finger on his shooting hand. Like, this isn't some insignificant thing. He broke part of his finger. I, I was so impressed by them. I was so impressed by him and his maturation. Uh, and his command, uh, I've kind of made the made the case that, like right now, if you had to choose one, like him or John ja Morant, like De'Aaron Fox is the better player right now. I don't, I, I think it's by a pretty significant margin that the leap that he took, considering he was somebody who I always liked, but was very much maligned for his decision making late in games. Uh, Sabonis did struggle. Against the Warriors, I, I think, you know, he just got thrown off by something and then he lost confidence in his jump shot and, and he just refused to take it. And I know he wants to keep the offense moving uh, and such and, you know, and not take those shots all the time. But I, I do think he could have been a little bit more aggressive. But overall, this is a major win. It's a major win. Keegan Murray showed that he's got some playoff chops. It wasn't great all series, but he's a 19-year-old rookie. That's normal. Um, no, I mean, after game four onward, I think he was – Yeah. Uh, at the worst, he was solid, and at the best, he was very impressive. Exactly. So, uh, you know, love Keegan Murray. I think that was a great pick for them, and he's going to have a great career in the NBA. I think they need to upgrade the Harrison Barnes spot. I think it that's the that's the spot that needs a little tweaking. Uh, Kevin Herter had a brutal series, but, you know, Malik Monk is awesome. And I think it's a really bright future for the Kings. Uh, I hope they don't go do anything super crazy to kind of 
try and jumpstart this. I, I hope this is a little bit more organic and it keeps growing, but great stuff from them. But they lose in game seven. Steph Curry goes absolutely nuclear. I mean, what a performance by him. And now it's set up the NBA's wet dream. LeBron, Curry, the Warriors, and the Lakers last night, game one. Your thoughts on last night? What did you think was going to happen going into this series? And did anything last night change that? I would say not really, to answer the last part of your question. And uh, obviously it would have been great for the Warriors to win that game, just being the NorCal guy that I am. But, you know, I expected them to be tired. Like, it was Sacramento is a very legit team who was young and fearless. And they had to play seven games, and it completely took it out of them. And they had a 48-hour turnaround to go and play arrested LeBron James and Anthony Davis game. And I think the Lakers and Kings are also two very different teams, right? Like, the Warriors just played seven games having to play one style and exploit certain weaknesses. And the Lakers are very different. Like, the Kings, they push the pace. They're explosive. They're young, fast. The Lakers... uh probably a way better defensive team they have a lot more length they play at a slower pace so not just that not only does that affect how the Warriors need to approach offense but defensively they struggled and Anthony Davis was getting to his spots and they never really could have slowed him down in general I thought the Lakers got a lot of easier shots and I mean look both of these teams just came off a series where they played against young and chippy uh, teams that really wanted to say something and make a statement and now they're playing against each other, and I expected not foot off the gas is probably the wrong term, but we all know that one game and one result was not going to change anything for either side. Like both of these sides, especially when you look at their star players, way too experienced to make a big deal over one game. I do think that the Warriors, uh, it's not ideal that they conceded home court right away, but you know if they are able to respond tomorrow night, then I think everything is fine. If they lose again tomorrow night, we're probably having a different conversation. I think going down 0-2 against LeBron and Anthony Davis is a little bit different than going down 0-2 to a team that hasn't been there before. Um, say what you want. LeBron's been there many a times. Um, I just think, and even though he was not great offensively, and we'll talk about this in, in a second, um, and things that the Warriors can do. Um, but, yeah, no, it's definitely going to be different. I thought the Warriors are going to win in six, personally. I mean, I know that it's a lot different going against an interior-led defense uh, by DeMontis Sabonis than by Anthony Davis when Anthony Davis is right because he flexed his muscle, especially on the defensive end last night. Offensively, too, but especially on the defensive end. And, yeah, it's going to be a different challenge. But I, I'm not going to pick against the Warriors until they lose. And I also don't think Anthony Davis can give you two straight games of that kind of performance. I don't. I don't. I, history suggests that that doesn't happen. No, I fully agree with you. And one other thing that I wanted to bring up, and this is not to – kind of crap on the Lakers or just try to rationalize the Warriors in any way. I think it's just stating a fact, which is that, like, let's put this aside. Steph Curry and LeBron James 
as far as this series goes on, they're probably only only going to get better and they won't get tired because they're just absolute freaks. But for the rest of everybody, there's one day of rest in between every game. And last night, LeBron James played 40 minutes and Anthony Davis played almost 44 minutes. So the Lakers came out really wanting to win game one. Credit to them. They got the job done. They took home court for the time being. But I don't know if we can get 44 minutes out of Anthony Davis and a 30-20 game on a consistent basis. Like you just said, historically speaking, that's not what we're going to get from Anthony Davis. Now, does that mean that the Warriors don't have flaws of their own? No, of course not. They only had eight turnovers last night and they lost. Like I would expect them to have 15 turnovers in a game where they came out sloppy and tired. So that's an encouraging sign for the Lakers. But, uh, the fact that there's only one day of rest and both of these sides have guys that are a little bit older, especially their star player. The question then becomes, what are we getting out of Anthony Davis? What is Andrew Wiggins going to give us over the course of this series? Does Clay Thompson have another game like last night in him? Can he explode? Is Jordan Poole finally woke up a little bit after he had 30 minutes and 18 points last night? Like in up these and are down questions in up and down performance from Jordan Poole. Didn't start off super hot. He got hot late and then Okay, hold on one second. I just want one quick second. What did you think of the last shot that that he took? I'm not as angry about it as a lot of other people were. Now obviously could he have gotten closer to the basket? Yes. Do I want him heaving a 28-footer knowing how he's been in the last two minutes of any quarter all season? Probably not. But there's nine seconds left. Your star player is double-teamed at half court. Draymond Green's not going to shoot the ball. Clay is getting guarded tightly out on the wing. And I will say this, that I, every single time, would rather have Jordan Poole take that shot than him try to get too fancy and make a play, which results in an offensive foul or a turnover. And by the way, uh, with the way he plays, that is absolutely realistic. So the fact that they got a shot that was open from a guy that can make it, I can live with it. You know, the Warriors had a great run to get back into the game. I'm not going to pin it on that shot. I think a lot of it had to do with that third quarter uh, more so than just one possession at the end. The scheduling really was not kind to the Lakers right now because LeBron, let's face it, looked looked pretty worn down, looked old. And you can see it in his jump shot. He doesn't have the legs. He's not getting to the rim as explosively as he he normally does. I mean, it's year 20. He's 38. It's kind of normal. But playing every other night is tough. And Anthony Davis has made a glass. And... It's really nice to take game one. And I I think the Lakers, if they really had a chance to win this series, they needed to take game one. Um, But I I still like the Warriors in this spot. I just think they have younger legs. Uh, I think the day off in between doesn't affect Curry as as much as it does Davis and LeBron. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think Wiggins, you know, a guy with young spry legs can be, you know, a major X factor in this series for the Warriors. Let me ask you about Draymond Green and specifically playing with Kevon Looney. Because when the Warriors went on their run last night to get into a three-point game, it was basically Draymond at center, the the old-school death lineup. Um, Do the the Warriors have enough shooting 
with Looney and Draymond Green on the floor to really punish the Lakers and how they play defense. Um, because last night, like they were, get, they were really sagging off of Looney. You're sagging off Green, and unless Thompson is like lights out, and Vando Vanderbilt did a good job on Curry. Like, do they have enough shot makers? Because you kind of need, I would say, because you kind of need Looney's size to match up with Davis a little bit, at least for some minutes. But I guess the the Green Looney pairing may not be the best this series. Yeah, you know, and we know that Steve Kerr likes to go small. That's sort of been what he's done a lot of his time in Golden State. I mean, don't forget, as great of a finals as Looney had last year, he was coming off the bench from game four onward because Steve Kerr liked riding with that small lineup against the Celtics team. And I do think that unlike with Sacramento, you can say that the Lakers are a little bit more susceptible to getting worn out running up and down the floor so I can understand why the small lineup might work. But that said, I don't think you entirely go away from the green loony duo. Uh, both of them have had fantastic moments throughout the playoffs. And, you know, when you go with the small lineup, you are sacrificing a little bit of uh, important interior defense if Anthony Davis is on the floor as well. So uh, those two limiting foul trouble is more of a key factor than anything else as far as that goes. And I think the small lineup will get used just because of that burst we saw in the fourth quarter last night. But I don't know if it's necessarily the thing that they're always going to stick with and live and die by for this series. Any nervousness about Curry being guarded by Vanderbilt that Vando is like taking him out of the game because the stats last night when Vanderbilt was the primary defender on Steph, I mean, Steph, Steph had a hard time. You know what I'm going to say about this one, man. I'm I'm not ever uh, going to worry too much about Curry Steph being Curry. able to compete. Like, you know, there was uh, – Davion Mitchell was playing great defense on him in the first couple games yeah, of the last there, series. Yeah, there, but there, there's a difference between 6'9 and doing it and 6' feet and doing it. No, I hear you. I hear you. But my point is Steph Curry has overcome the doubters on that front a gazillion times throughout his career. And Vanderbilt is a nice young player. Like I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but you got seven games possibly, and at least three more to defend this guy who literally never stops running around the court. I'm just going to hold my patience on this one. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, pretty good. Uh, I You know, can't really go wrong with that considering Steph Curry has the resume that he has. So you you still think the Warriors take this series? I do. I I'm, I'm feeling okay after last night, but uh, as we've said a few times now, if they lose tomorrow, it's certainly a different discussion with both of these first two games being at home. But if they win tomorrow night, then I'm feeling okay, and they just got to find a way to get it done on the road. I will say this, because um, Anthony Davis, I know I'm trying not to bag on the guy, considering I think he just played his best playoff game of his career, but he has a tendency to drift. He has a tendency to drift, and every time that he shoots a turnaround fadeaway, it's a win for the Warriors. If he shoots a shot outside of 18 feet, it's generally a win for the Warriors. If they could somehow get him to do that, and honestly, as crazy as this sounds, I would make LeBron beat you at this point. Oh, I would try. Yeah, no, let, I, I'm okay. I would try to let LeBron beat night. you. I'm not. I'm not sure. You know given 
the schedule and his age and all that, that he's capable of winning, you know, the Lakers a series. That's not a knock, but just like I, I would make, I would try and make LeBron James hit jump shots and be like, prove it to me. Yeah, no, and I'm not going to sit here and do the Dylan Brooks and just call him old and like he can't win you a series. Yeah, we're but, not going to do that. Yeah, we're not going to do that. But I think it is fair to say at least that it is asking a lot of LeBron to do what he did in, say, 2018 in the playoffs. It's asking a lot for him to do that it's four, in 2023. It's five years ago already. It's five mm-hmm. years ago. It's a long time. Right. It's a lot of miles. So, it's a lot of miles, man. And and again, I'm never going to disrespect LeBron or just say that he can't get it done. But, uh, you know, again, it's asking a lot. Like, I, I think he can do it. But Anthony Davis on paper, when he's healthy and he's doing his thing, that's the younger guy that is much more of a pain in the ass on the interior and absolutely a pain in the ass on interior defense. Yeah. Yeah, the defense, I mean, he was an absolute monster on the defensive end. But we both think the Warriors are still going to come back to win, correct? Yes. All right. Yeah, I, I, I'm i in agreement with you. All right, moving on to the other Western Conference playoff series. That's a lot less interesting. It's more interesting, the fallout, than the actual product on the court. Denver's up two games to zero. Game one was a 20-point win by Denver. Jamal Murray was awesome. Jokic was still super super good, but he didn't have to be awesome, like, you know, getting his own shot and whatever. Game two, Jokic dominated in the paint, and Chris Paul gets hurt. Even after, they were, you know, he was having a nice little stretch of actually making a couple of pull-up jump shots, which if you told me three years ago that a set defense was going to be geared around making Chris Paul shoot from the mid-range, you'd think you were crazy, but that's where we are right now in the year 2023 and he gets hurt phoenix barely has guys that they trust including chris paul and now that's one less guy so i mean we think this is a sweep right could be a gentleman's sweep i mean i I look at kevin durant and devin booker and i have a hard time thinking that they're just going to get outright swept in this series but Phoenix looks bad, man. And that loss in game two was a bad loss because Jamal Murray couldn't make a shot. Him and Michael Porter Jr. combined for like 15 points. And it was a very winnable game the entire way for Phoenix. And yes, I know they lost Chris Paul, but you guys have arguably the best duo in the entire league. And there is just a lack of chemistry out there right now. And I don't know what it is. So, again, I won't turn my back on KD. I do think he is someone who is talented enough and uh, playoff tried enough to go and flip a switch. But it is looking ugly right now, man. And I don't know. I think Denver might win tomorrow night. And, again, don't know if it's a sweep, but I don't see Phoenix coming back from this one. I'm comfortable saying that. Okay, fine. Let's say KD goes nuclear, right? Let's say Booker goes nuclear. They get 70 to 75 points between them. Where are the other 30 coming from? Uh, Where are they coming from? Is it it campaign? Where are they coming from? 
No, it's a great question. And uh, I mean, DeAndre Ayton is a really frustrating player if you're a Phoenix Sun, because when he's great, he looks really good. And like he could be a top five paid center in the league. And then there's times where he looks just a little disengaged and like a wild underachiever. And that's a big problem, man, because I know you got KD and Booker and you did have Chris Paul, but your bench isn't exactly very thick. Like you kind of traded that all away to go and get yep. Kevin Durant. I said this in the monologue. I said Denver winning and winning convincingly this series is the best thing for the NBA. And the logic was, is that I believe that there are certain things when it comes to basketball that are true, right? Continuity matters, right? That basketball, while it can be a little bit of a simplistic game because top-end talent does win, just stacking talent without anything else and without having enough time to gel. And I know I heard all of the, the talk, KD's the most malleable superstar. Like, you watch these games, and he goes stretches with him just being a spot-up standstill shooter, right? And he just feels like he's not engaged offensively when Booker's doing his thing. And Booker's been good the first two games. But, like, KD just standing in the corner being a decoy, you know, he shot 2 for 12 from 3 in game 2. I'm not really sure that's the best way to use Kevin Durant. And guess where you figure this stuff out? By playing games together, right? They played eight games together, and they didn't beat anybody good. So to hear that's like, oh, the top-end talent should win, like you hear on social media, I heard from a couple of my friends, I'm just like, I believe in the sanctity of basketball that this shouldn't be the case, right? That you should have to go through some stuff to actually win, build winning habits, and I'm just so happy that this is getting shoved in the sun's face right now. I got a friend who has always been a big follower of Kevin Durant ever since he was drafted into the league and we're like third graders. So we text a little bit about this series and he says that the suns out there remind him of a team that gathered their five guys about five minutes before tip off. Like, like yeah. it's a pickup game out on the court or something. And Denver has had to build this for years. And Jamal Murray, by the way, like this whole, oh, well, is it, it's not bubble Murray, which, you know, uh, courtesy of the Jersey right up back there. But like Jamal Murray, when he played in 21, uh, before he tore his ACL, he was having career highs in field goal percentages, uh, effective field goal percentages, three point percentage and points per game. So it's not like, he didn't stay good after that freakish run he had in the bubble. I think he could be a lot more judged off of ACL recovery than he could be, oh, well, now you have to play in front of a normal NBA environment. Yeah, no, it's – I just I'm, – I'm very happy that, first of all, that he's back to playing well because that run that he had was super exciting. But I, I, I truly believe in certain basketball principles – and this is one of them. And you make the trade for Kevin Durant. You do. But you saw it with the Miami Heat in 2011, and those guys were younger. They had a full season. They didn't win the first season, right? So it, it may just take another year. The, the problem where Phoenix is running into is one of the guys that they're depending on is 37 years old, 
is a diminutive point guard, and he can't stay healthy for a long playoff series. And if you have money tied up in Durant, you have money tied up in Booker, you have money tied up in Aiton, who's not worth it, by the way. And if you miss on a contract like that, that sets you back a while. And you have money tied up in Chris Paul because he has an option. I mean, I think he's going to pick up the option. Where are you improving around the edges considering you sent away a whole lot of draft capital like this can go poorly for the phoenix suns look at the clippers right look at the clippers and they got paul george and Kawhi Leonard. those guys are younger these trades are very risky and as gm said and i've heard on, on other shows like you do them but you hold your nose and i'm just saying there's a, a grave scenario where this goes very bad for the Phoenix Suns. Well, I won't go too far into this tangent, but just a little cross-sport comparison here. Like, look at the LA Rams. And to their credit, it worked, okay? Like, they won a Super Bowl, and it worked. Yep. Congratulations. But they gave up so much from a one- to two-and-a-half-year period to try to have a team that could win a Super Bowl. They were always good when Sean McVay was the coach, but they didn't have a Super Bowl team. They got to a Super Bowl, but they scored three points, and they didn't win it. And you saw last year, yes, I know there were injuries, but everything since that Super Bowl, they have gotten worse. Matthew Stafford is older. They had to trade Jalen Ramsey for a bag of chips because of all the cap space. So they are paying the consequences for it. And again, I think their fans, every single one of them, is going to say, that's fine, I'm happy with it, we got a Super Bowl and it paid off, but there are always consequences to just being aggressive and like pushing the go button over and over and over again. So for Phoenix, yeah, I'm. if you don't win this year, it's not the end of your title window necessarily, but to echo what you said, Aaron, this has the potential to go so wrong so fast. And the key difference is the Rams won it, and it makes it worth it. If Phoenix somehow wins it, it'll all be worth it. But it can go poorly, and, you know, the Chris Paul thing is a big problem for them. It is. You know, he's, he's not the player he was even last year, especially not the player he was two years ago, even in the regular season. He struggled shooting. This was his worst shooting season of his career. And he's not getting any younger. And and you've got a lot of cap tied up in him. And you have a lot of cap tied up in DeAndre Ayton, whose primary goal was to get a second contract. Doesn't seem like he's the most competitive dude out there. And Chris Paul was propping him up by feeding him, right? Chris Paul would make him look good. And it's just, this has the chance to go very, very poorly very quickly for the Phoenix Suns, a team that was on the precipice of winning a title two years ago, up two games to zero. And now, like, you trade for Kevin Durant, they're going to have to get very creative. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's getting urgent for Phoenix. And, I mean, I don't know how many different ways we can put it, but, yeah, they're in trouble, and they got to win these next two games just to have a fighting chance and some hope. So, uh and by the way, I see our Zoom clock is on a countdown right now. Should we take a little intermission and then do the East? Yeah, we're going to do that. But one quick thing. I'm happy for Nikola Jokic. 
I'm happy yeah, me for too. Jokic because the MVP race this year was a whole lot of shit, a lot of garbage, you know, other talk besides for the basketball. Kendrick Perkins basically called everybody who wouldn't vote for <laughs> Joel Embiid a racist. I mean, he's a fucking buffoon, and ESPN still employs him. They're a joke of an organization. But there was so much discourse around the MVP discussion, and you had three great candidates this year for the regular season award. And again, it's a regular season award. And did I think Jokic deserved to win it? Probably not this year. And yeah, winning three straight matters. I think that matters historically. And I, I, I think that should be reserved for very few guys but i'm happy for him right now that he's shoving it up the ass of everybody who is dumping on him for some stupid fucking reason and that he's on the way to going to the western conference finals and probably the nba finals so good on nikola Jokic and all the Jokic haters out there and again i would have voted for Giannis for mvp if i had a vote whatever it's fine i'm i'm i can accept any of the results but Jokic shoving it up the ass of these guys is fantastic. Rant over. With that, so we're going to take a little bit of a break, and we're going to move on to the Eastern Conference in a second. And we're back. We're going to go to the Eastern Conference. Just We both think it's going to be a sweep or a gentleman's sweep, correct, for Denver? Yes. Awesome. Eastern Conference. Let's start with the game that's going to happen tonight. Once you hear this episode, you're probably going to know what happened in Game 2 already. So this might be moot Celtics Sixers Joel Embiid the newly minted MVP is going to play I have said that I support that decision if he feels comfortable he's had you know a week and a half or so if he feels comfortable he should play because they have a chance to really put the screws on the Boston Celtics um what say you about this series what stood out to you um, you know, give me your thoughts on, on, and what you're looking for towards tonight's game. Well, for game one, I mean, just congratulations to James Harden on that performance. Like I'm a Warriors fan and I'm even thinking the amount of hate that this guy has gotten is just a little bit absurd at times. Like, yeah, he was annoying to play against sometimes. Like, yeah, I know he'd like to get a lot of free throws and whatnot, but I never thought he was a bad player, and he showed that his role changed for the Sixers team. He's still capable of scoring, and that was an awesome job he did with the Celtics, uh, or against the Celtics in game one. And, like, I thought, so I took the Celtics at minus nine in that game one, and it wasn't necessarily like a, oh, they're so much better than the Sixers and they don't have Embiid, but my psychology behind it was people are really starting to doubt the Celtics, the Hawks took them to six games and like, yeah, I know the Hawks don't have bad players, but let's be honest. They stink as far as playoff teams went this year. They're so inconsistent and so annoying to watch. And the Celtics let them hang around. And I'm thinking, here we go back to TD garden. The Sixers are coming off the sweep and beads not playing great opportunity to make a statement for a team that got to the finals last year. And they're going to put everybody on notice. And they didn't, they did the same thing. And letting the Sixers hang around, uh, the Malcolm Brogdon pass at the end was just a brutal mistake. With I mean, literally, he does that half a second later, and Maxi doesn't have a breakaway layup because it's a shot clock violation. So 
uh, yeah, good for the Sixers. I think they're playing with house money right now, and Embiid wouldn't be coming back in this game if he didn't feel good. So I think this is a great sign for Philly. They're eight-point underdogs tonight, and I love that line. I'll tell you that much. Well, you're talking to one of the chief James Harden haters uh, on the internet and sports media. So I, I've had a rough week in terms of just like my guys. Like I'm not an Anthony Davis guy. He has his best playoff game. I'm not a James Harden guy. He has his best playoff game. Um, I mean, he was he was masterful and the shot making. Ryan Rosillo talked about it. Like a lot of the shots were super contested. He just made them right, yeah. and he just made them. So. You know, congratulations to him. I don't see him having a really good playoff game the rest of this series if we know anything about James Harden. But, you know, he put them in a position to win. And I said in the monologue, like, this, you know, the C's for the Sixers, given the landscape of what's going on right now, have parted and they have as great an opportunity as they've ever had. This is the best opportunity that they've ever had in the Joel Embiid era with Giannis losing in round one. This is as good as it gets for them, as good as it gets. And yeah, I if Embiid was, I know a lot of people are going to say, you already got the split. Why, you know, why push it with Embiid? If he can play, you have a chance to end this right now. You have a chance to end it right now. Cross high, cross sports reference, the New York Rangers, my beloved New York Rangers, are up 2-0 after winning two games on the road. Okay, They had a chance to step on the necks of the Devils. Game three at home, they came out a little flat. They had a one nothing lead, nursing that one nothing lead, and they didn't get it done, lost in overtime. They then laid an egg in game four and in game five came back to win in game six, and were terrible in game seven. So a lot of stuff can happen. If you have the opportunity to end somebody's season, and I think if Philly goes up two games to zero, it will end Boston season, number of games, whatever, you got to do it. Like, this is what you play for. So I think it's a good idea that they play Embiid. Um, we talked about Harden, but my biggest takeaway is, and I know Vegas loved the Celtics. I know the analytics people love the Celtics. Everybody talks about Jason Tatum like he's, you know, the second coming. I just don't see it. I don't see it. I, I, I didn't see it last year, and I know they made the finals. I, I do think if Chris Middleton was remotely healthy, they lose to the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round. I just don't see it with this Celtics team. I don't think Jason Tatum is as great as everybody else says he is. I mean, he's young. He's learning the tricks of the trade. But I just don't see it with the Celtics. And I made the case that right now, Jimmy Butler is a better player than Jason Tatum because he just knows the tricks of the trade. He knows how to play and is willing to do the grimy things I don't think Jason Tatum is willing to do. So I'm just... I'm out on this Celtics team. I'm out. You know, last finals, uh, I'm a Warriors fan, had a discussion with one of my friends who's a Celtics fan, and this is when the series was tied at 1-1, I think. And we are talking about how going into that series, the ESPN analytics had the Celtics at like an 86% chance to win yeah. and the Warriors at 14. And he's saying, he's like, 
yeah, the, he, his whole thing was that the analytics love the Celtics because when they are good, they look really impressive, right? Like when things are going their way and they're playing well, it's very beautiful basketball. And last year, especially when you account for their defense, it made Which sense. Which has been He's horrid like, in these playoffs. Uh-huh. Horrible. It has. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a different coach. And all year, that was kind of an issue too. Like their offense was great and their defense wasn't the same. And now to be fair, Robert Williams missed a lot of time. He's always been battling injuries. And when he's able to give you 25 minutes, he's an awesome, awesome player. I love that guy. And I hope to see him get, uh, you know, Embiid struggled with injuries early in his career. I'd love to see Williams be able to start putting together close to full seasons. Cause I think he's great, but yeah, I don't know, man. And they make some low IQ plays at the end of games too, which really concerns me. Like the Hawks game, which they came back and were able to force a game six. If you're Marcus smart, why are you lunging at a guy when you don't have a foul to give late? Like it was just things like that, that don't make sense to me. And there's just serve as a reminder that yes, this team went to the finals. Yes. They have the potential to go and win an NBA championship, but they're still young and they are incredibly flawed. I just don't get it. I've never been a Marcus Smart guy. I know Celtics fans love him because he's, you know, tough as nails, but he's just a little too involved. He's a little too involved. Like, Tatum scores 39 points in game one, and, like, that's a really quiet 39 points if it was possible. You know what I'm saying? Like, they just weren't impactful 39 points. Jalen Brown has it going, and basically he doesn't shoot. I I don't know what's going on there. And like Marcus Smart, that that's like the last, the last shot is is him. Like like what? Like what's going on here? I, I just I don't I, I don't get it with the Celtics. And and I guess if Smart is going to be involved as heavily as he is, I'm just never going to take them seriously. And I think that Ime Udoka. Say what you want about him as a guy. I think as a coach, he instilled a toughness in them that they're lacking right now. And I'm just, I'm just out. I'm just out. Like as a Knicks fan, going into you know the second round, I would have so much rather played the Celtics than the Heat. No, I think that's a totally fair statement, especially with what we've seen, even just to start the series. And like, yeah, to, to go back to your point on the 76ers. This is the best circumstances that they have ever had to try to make a finals. I mean, maybe the 2021 year, the, you know, Ben Simmons passing up the dunk year, you could have argued that if they had home court against the Bucks, they could have done it and played the Suns in the finals. But like they flamed out in that playoffs. And this well, is I actually an think their best chance is when Jimmy Butler was there. And I know Kawhi makes the miracle shot to send them home. Um, and then they, let's, just say they chose poorly not choosing jimmy over ben simmons it just that wasn't great but yeah no this is their best chance yeah i agree and uh you know going into the second round i had my series winners as denver golden state uh philly and i'm sorry to say i did have the heat over the knicks it's not crazy. We'll get to them in a second. I talked about it in the monologue. It's not crazy. It's not crazy. Yeah, so, so, uh, so, so we'll see. I thought the Celtics were going to win in seven. Um, I thought that 
if Embiid was going to miss the first two games, I thought that was going to be too much to overcome. I am a James Harden seller always. Now, seeing them even win game one without Embiid, like, it changes my whole perspective. Um, and I think Philadelphia is going to win in six. I just, I, I'm not, a, I'm just not a buyer of this Celtics team. I'm just not. Uh, yeah, I would say Philly in six or seven would be my pick. You know, I know six is the popular one for the underdog because they get that game at home. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not saying, like, I don't necessarily believe the Celtics will just automatically win a game seven if they get it at home and by the way uh so going into warriors kings i think the home team record in game sevens historically was 110 and 35 and now uh five of the last seven game sevens have been won by the road team interesting that's a good stat it's a good stat all right last but not least your take on the miami heat new york knicks slugfest Something that brings me back to my childhood when they actually fought, legit fought, two straight years in 97 and 98. And those games were wars, absolute wars. I mean, my hatred towards the Miami Heat has been ratcheted up like crazy just watching those old videos. I do love Jimmy Butler. I've always been a Jimmy Butler guy. So I'm incredibly stressed out watching these games. From, you know, an outsider's perspective, what's your takeaway from this series so far? So I'll start by being kind to your Knicks. Uh, first of all, you do not apologize for last night's win. You don't apologize for the uh, the false shot clock violation. You don't apologize for uh, anything else that people pointed to the refs for. like The four-point oh, play that they were gifted? The four-point play that they were gifted? Yeah, well, right. I, I will take it. Yeah, like, you're not going to apologize for any of that. Uh, the Knicks, like, you just got to win. You got to win a game, and they did. And by the way, in game one, uh, as you know, because I, I know you touched on this one just in your podcast, your Instagram story, like, the Knicks were horrendous in game one. They were 7 of 34 from three. They shot 60% from the line. Uh, actually, last night, they weren't great on free throws either because Josh Hart cost me the, the bet on the minus six. Uh, yeah, said it was that, that, that was tough. The six and a half was tough. <laughs> I did get it at six, so luckily it was uh, it was a push. But uh, yeah, I was like, "Come on, man! Like, let's make some free throws here." But uh, yeah, I, I'm feeling okay for the Knicks that Brunson was able to play. Randall is giving it a go, and I don't think that like it's going back to Miami and that they're necessarily screwed. I think they had to win that one, and if you win ugly, then guess what? It's the playoffs, and you're not going to apologize for it. Now, for Miami, they do look a lot more put together as a team right now. And just the image of Jimmy Butler smiling and nodding his head at the end of the last game was like, all right, yeah, like we're going to have some fun. I can't wait. And like I would hate to see that as an opposition because this dude becomes Michael Jordan every time it gets to mid-April. He can't shoot threes in the regular season, and then all of a sudden he makes threes. He's never scored a 40-point game in the regular season for the Heat. All of his 40-point playoff games have been in a Miami jersey. Like, I mean, it's been repeated a million times at this point, but it's kind of ridiculous what you're getting. So, uh, and on top of that, Eric Spolstra, I think not everyone really appreciated him when he had LeBron, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh. One of the top-notch coaches in the NBA. One of the top-notch. 
He is the top notch, and he's a better coach now than he was then. He is. He first of all, he's more confident in the job right now. He has, you know, he has less prima donnas to to handle. I mean, listen, you know, that team came together pretty pretty well for, and they had a pretty nice run. But it's less prima donnas for him to handle right now. And and LeBron's a diva, all right. He is, um, but. He does more with less now than anybody else in the league. Like he makes Gabe Vincent look like Steph Curry light, and he makes Caleb Martin, who wasn't both guys weren't drafted by the way, look like Clay Thompson light. It, it's just infuriating the, the looks that they got in Game Two. I know they made about 35%, which is not a great percentage. But if you look at like the looks that they got late in games when they missed them in big spots, those were wide open. They were wide open. And they've made Brunson's life, for the most part, pretty miserable. Brunson was not good in game one. He was not good in the first half. I mean, he turned he turned it on in the, uh, the second half in the fourth quarter. He was great. But they've made it very difficult for him. And, you know, I, the big thing to me is that the Knicks going into this series, you looked at it and you're just like, the Knicks are deeper, right? Miami has the best player, but the Knicks are deeper. And the Knicks bench has been dreadful. Quickly has been dreadful the entire playoffs. He needs to wake the hell up. They need Quentin Grimes to make shots. I know he was plus three in the plus minus, but he was over. Three. In, no, I'm sorry. He was one for three last night, and he was 0 for two from three. Like, we're going to need more of you. And I know he played because RJ gets tunnel vision, and sometimes he just loses his mind, and he needs to sit down. And, yeah, the Knicks would have been lost without his offense early. I mean, the fact that they were even in that game, again, without Jimmy Butler and without Tyler Hero, that the Knicks were lucky to be in that game with Randall making shots that I don't generally like him taking in the first half. And they, they were lucky to be down three. And then for that Miami Heat team to have a six-point lead midway through the fourth quarter, I should be happier about the current state of the Knicks. But it's hard to get too excited because Eric Spolster's a goddamn wizard. And if Butler can give them anything, like Butler made every big play in the game one, every big play before he got hurt. I just, I'm so nervous about playing this Miami Heat team. And I, and even when they looked bad in the play-in tournament, like this team looked dead, dead. And they have nine lives and I can't stand it. Dude, there's some kind of playoff gremlin every time it gets to the April and it's just, I mean, it's insane. Like, I've, I've done disrespecting them. I thought they were going to get bounced so hard by the Bucks. I said the Bucks were going to come back from 3-1. Okay? I'm an so idiot. Did I. So yeah. did I. And they were up 16 points in both game four, in both games in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that was – and the second one was at home. Like, I don't even have an excuse on that one. So, um, well, let me ask you this, and I apologize if uh, I'm making you repeat some of what – you already touched on in the monologue, but, you know, was curious to hear your thoughts on quickly. But, you know, I think kind of got that out of the way. That's pretty simple. Uh, and then I want to ask you about RJ Barrett because he's had really good quarters and then he's also looked kind of yeah. bad at times. And then 
Are you upset at all with Tibbs? <sighs> These are very loaded questions. Um, RJ Barrett. Do you follow a lot of Knicks fans on Twitter? I follow some. All right. So if you go through Knicks Twitter, we like to fight amongst each other, right? And one of the big fighting points is R.J. Barrett, right? He's a major lightning rod amongst Knicks fans. Certain Knicks fans think he's the second coming of Jimmy Butler. Certain Knicks fans think he's, he's crap, right? I generally lean towards the crap side of things but i will give him a, a lot of credit he was excellent in the last three games of the cleveland series he was their best player in two of those games and when they needed him in big spots he was there so i give him credit for that he, they say he changed his shooting motion he's actually shot the ball well but remember how we talked about not that long ago about jason tatum having a not impactful 39 points a lot yeah. of times, R.J. Barrett's numbers don't seem as impactful. Like, you look at the basketball reference, and the, and the general numbers are not bad, right? The counting stats are not bad. You know, he's in a class of his own in terms of just, like, you know, he puts up certain, you know, statistical thresholds. And, he, you know, at his age, like, you look at the guys who have done it, and it's, like, all, like, some of the best players in league history. But it's easier to get numbers now than it ever was before. So... You know, it's funny because Tibbs has had, you know, a, a major tendency to not play him a lot in fourth quarters. You saw it in the regular season. You saw it in yesterday. And there's just something missing. There's something missing. And even when he has it going, like, it, it's like sometimes it just, I think somebody tweeted it last night. It's like the pixie dust just evaporates. And he's just, he's very frustrating. He's very frustrating. And he wasn't even poor last night. He didn't play poorly. I mean, again, he paced them in the first half. But even towards the second half of the second quarter, you're just like, well, are, are we going back into bad RJ mode? And then he never really got out of it. And so he's a little bit of an enigma. Um, am I upset with Tibbs? Again, he's not my favorite as a baseline, so maybe I have a bias, but I actually think he's done good things. Like, you know, he saw that Barrett, even though he had the big numbers, just wasn't doing it, and he and he sat him in favor of Grimes. He he saw that Toppin was not engaged in that game whatsoever, and gave him the quick hook. Um. You know, and Randall was good enough that, like, you had to ride with Randall. Like, that, he just had a, a good yeah. pulse of that. So I'll give him credit for that. Now, his offense is tremendously unimaginative. I do think the roster constraints hold him back a little bit, but I also don't think he cares about that side of the ball that much and sometimes gives his players too much rope. Like, he gives Randall too much rope. Sometimes he gives Brunson too much rope. And as great as Brunson has been, like, he's not always a table setter, right? Like, a lot of the times he likes to get into his own stuff first, right? He's kind of more shot first than necessarily, like, getting other guys involved first. And it's not a knock. It just is what it is, right? And so it 
it's just complicated. I will say this. They fight, man. They are a bunch of fighters. And they're not afraid to get into a gutter war. They're not afraid to get into a street fight. And I and a lot of that comes from him. So I will and he sets the tone and I'll give him credit for that. But you know, he did coach a good game. He coached a good game yesterday, given the circumstances. Um game one. You again. I also thought that was more so on the players. Like Brunson was brutal. Brunson was brutal, and they didn't make shots. And sometimes it's just that simple. Sometimes you just don't make shots. Uh, I, I do think he needs to find a way to get quickly going, uh, because quickly was really important to them this year. Really important to them, and they they will not win this series if he continues to give them duds. If they get nothing from him and Grimes from the outside. And if Toppin can't give them a spark. But, you know, I think for the most part, Tibbs has coached well in the playoffs. So where are you at with your prediction and feelings on this series? I know it's hard as a fan. We get overly stressed uh, when we take it personal. This is tough. I, 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 say, I say Nixon seven, but my confidence meter is at a one out of ten. <laughs> it is. It is. I just. It is. I. I'll say Nixon seven, one out of ten confidence meter. I res. I respect the grind. I respect their heart. Um. You know, the uh, the Jews read in the Haggadah, Dayenu, that it's enough that we're here. So like, this is the ultimate Dayenu series. I've said this all the time. Even though the Eastern Conference is in major flux, but like. It is what it is. I'm proud of the team. They drive me crazy. I did not feel super great after they won, but 1-1, let's slug it out. Oh, yeah. No, this is good. You got a best of five to this point, and uh, I mean, yeah, you got to go win one in Miami, and and then it's a best of three with home court, but uh, I, I think it's doable for you guys. I mean, I know I said I picked the Heat, but uh, if we're going to do the confidence meter thing, I would go heat and six, uh, confidence meter six out of 10. All right. Well, I, res- I, I can, I can respect that. I'm, I'm too emotionally invested. I, I can't even, I can't even be a- as objective as I'm trying to be even still. I'm just, I'm scared shitless of this heat team, man. They, they just, they're relentless. And like Kyle Lowry, fat and out of shape all freaking year, can barely play, turns back the clock and becomes awesome in the playoffs. And Duncan Robinson, who couldn't buy a basket all year, had incredible amount of DNPs, coach's decision, by the way. He's making threes. He missed a big one at the top of the key that he was left wide open with. And I was convinced that was going in. But whatever. It's, uh, it's... I, I, Nixon seven. I don't feel super confident. Greg, this was awesome. Thanks so much for doing it. Before we go, where can everybody find your stuff? Yeah, man. Well, thank you for having me. I'm gonna have you back on real soon before these playoffs are done because this was great. Uh, you could find my show screaming from the sidelines, and you know if you like the way that uh, we can both scream about sports, then I recommend going and checking it out. So it's awesome. Uh, my Twitter is Greg O.H. Silver, uh, where I post some bets sometimes, some episode clips, just 
a lot of random ranty stuff. Uh, it's the Kavon Looney fan page, basically. So, yeah, you know, I go give it a check. And, uh, you know, I hope to uh, just keep all these shows growing, man. This was great. Awesome. And uh, I hope Kavon Looney has a bounce back game in game two. Uh, he, it was a rough game in game one because screw the Lakers. I hate their fans. I hate everything about them. Greg, this was great. Thanks so much, <laughs> but I'll speak to you soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks again to recurring guest, fellow Believe Podcast member, Greg Silver, for coming on, talking all about the NBA playoffs. By the way, at the time that we wrap up this show, the Philadelphia 76ers got absolutely smoked in game two, blown out of the building, and let's just say James Harden wasn't stellar. So for everybody who was chirping me about Harden and his playoff resume, let's just slow down for a second. Anyway, that's episode 207 for the love of the game. Take us out, Wheezy and Drake. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.